Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. We're talking some USC Trojan football we got Dan Weber on the line. we got Keely York in studio. we got to talk about USC's big win over number 10, then number 10, Utah in the Coliseum. Friday night, we're going to head out to Seattle this weekend. All three of us will be up there looking to see what happens when the Trojans try to take on the Huskies up in Seattle. Husky Stadium should be a fun day, 12.30 kickoff. Um, Probably not a lot of time for the sailgating, which kind of sucks, but I'm going to go check out those boats anyway because those are really cool uh, right next to the stadium. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or if you'd like to call or text us, you can do that too. 424-254-9141 is the number. We have mm, a lot, I guess you could say, of questions, so we're going to do a quick sort of intro and kind of give our, our quick thoughts and then we'll just jump into all your questions because I'm sure every topic that we could possibly talk about is going to be covered. Uh, Keely, welcome in. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, Dan Weber, how are you doing? Doing good and looking forward to that uh, 1230 game because I understand the rain that probably is going to uh, happen all week long might actually be stopped by uh, by noon on Saturday. So, uh Looking forward to that. The uh, I think the only day that didn't have all day rain was uh, was Saturday morning. And so cross your fingers, maybe we'll get a uh, relatively dry Saturday afternoon. That would be nice. And this is uh, I know this is Keeley's first trip up to uh, Seattle to see Husky Stadium. You haven't been there, right, Keeley? I have not. I'm excited. It's the last Pac-12 stadium that I need to go to. Nice. All yeah. right. Well, it should be an interesting. Well, we got to talk about everything that went down for USC uh, Utah. Dan, we're gonna give you a shot because we got so many things in here. If you have any quick uh, thoughts to go off the top, and then we'll just kind of roll on from there. Well, you gotta like it that they didn't they didn't pack it in. The BYU game was, uh, you know, was a pretty big shot. They know they should have won that game by a couple of touchdowns. They know how that screwed up their season, and then they lose their quarterback on uh, play number two, and just just went after went after it. Didn't do you know made a lot of mistakes. Uh, gave up a lot of yards, couldn't run the ball a lick, and still ended up winning the game uh, and handled kind of all the outside noise with uh, with Reggie returning and Matt and, and Urban Meyer being there and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, some really positive things, uh, but an awful lot of things to, to get squared away as they go forward. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. The next two games will tell us an awful lot with the road games at Washington and, uh, and Notre Dame in a, in a bye week. Uh, see, this is a team that has to keep getting better, and that's the key. Do they keep getting better? We'll see. Yeah, we uh, got to wait and see, see what happens. Uh, with the, We're going to know a lot over the next few weeks, so we'll see uh, how that all goes. Uh, before we jump into everything, wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Make sure you go to TraderJoe's.com. You can check out their fearless flyers if you get some neat ideas for things that you want. I love going in there and checking things out. The the thing I just saw is the apple cider donuts. Those look really good. I want to try those out. So 
you know, I have my like kind of regular list I buy when I go to Trader Joe's, but then I try to add something new uh, each time. So this time I'm going to have to try those apple cider donuts because they look uh, scrumptious. But if you're going to go to USC and tailgate, make sure you go check out the USC Village and the Trader Joe's over there. Great stuff. So when the next home game, if you want to come back around, go check out Trader Joe's and bring it over there. I think the next is the next home game homecoming. Is it Arizona? Is that? I don't know. I believe Arizona is. I think it is. Yeah, I think that's homecoming coming up. So, yeah, that'd be good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, make, make sure you check it out. And, you know, we, we all love going to Trader Joe's all the time, not just for tailgating stuff. But, Keely? Yes. We, uh, what? I hope you got the, the questions organized, maybe condensed a little or. I'm going <laughs> to organize them by theme here. Okay. Just try and be more efficient. So, let's start off with a, a text and an email, both about tackling. First, it's a text from Paul and Menifee who says, since the coaches aren't doing it, can. Talanoa Hufunga teach the rest of the team the art of tackling. Bad angles, not wrapping up, and stopping their feet every single game is beyond old. And then we got an email from Jim B who says, One question. Everyone says that SC doesn't tackle much in practice. What is the difference between the way SC practices and the other big football schools like Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama practice? Do they spend more time tackling? If so, how much more time? Fight on, Jim B. Yeah, I don't know that you have to spend a lot more time. I don't think, uh, for example, Pete's team did a lot of tackling to the ground. I think there's a way that you can practice ones against ones a few times every day in practice. I just think that competitiveness at the very top level uh, is really important. I know Alabama, apparently, every single time they put pads on, they tackle to the ground. It cost them their you know, All-American linebacker early in the year, so... You know, that's been kind of an issue when USC didn't have enough players. Whether it's the same issue uh, now, uh, probably not. But, uh, but yeah, I think you can't expect players to do uh, to tackle full speed in, the, in open space against, uh, against really good athletes if they never do it in practice. It's just asking too much. So uh, they, they need to probably figure out a way to do that. I know somebody was asked after the, um, after the Utah game, uh, just practicing against, I guess it was one of the offensive players was asked to practicing against this defense, get you ready, uh, you know, for games. And the answer was something to the effect that, well, we really don't practice against this defense. We go against the scout team. And that probably is, you know, is a problem. Uh, I think, you know, I think you've got to figure out a way, uh, to have legitimately, uh, competition on, on the practice field. Uh, we're not seeing that, and I think it, it, it puts them behind the eight ball a little bit every single game where they have to kind of get themselves up to speed a little bit on defense. And uh, and they really have trouble with, obviously, running quarterbacks, open field stuff. And you got guys that are getting penetration all the time, and that's, that's one of the things I think that's happening on giving up the big third down uh, and long uh, uh, plays is, you know, they very often have a quarterback in their sights and they can't, uh, they can't get him down. And then with the secondary, you know, and the linebackers, let's say, dropping into coverage, you've got that big area in the middle where there is nobody. And then the first guy or two still has to make the tackle if it's a linebacker coming up uh, or, a, or a secondary guy coming up. They've got to make that tackle in the open field against, a, uh, you know, a pretty good athlete who's moving fast. And if you don't ever do that in practice, it's just unrealistic to ask you to be able to do it in games. So that's the issue there, I think. Yeah, you know, I, there's other schools, too, that do it differently. You know, I think Clemson, 
backs off a lot of that, you know, um, they, maybe that's more of an exception than a rule, but uh, you know, the Ohio States of the world, the, the Alabamas of the world, the Georgias of the world, I think they do a lot more, a lot more physical practices. So it kind of depends where you are, uh, but it seems like the majority of the, the top programs out there do oh. get more physical in practice. We got an email from Dizzy who says, to my eyes, it looked like Matt Fink overthrew guys three or four times that could have been touchdowns. He also extended three or four plays that probably would have been sacks or throwaways for JT Daniels or Keaton Slovis. Was that pretty much what you guys were seeing in fall camp? No, I don't. I, I, did, I didn't see the overthrows. I, I saw maybe one or so, but uh, I, I thought... Uh, I thought, and I thought he got. I thought Matt got a bad rap. I think he threw the ball up uh, so that the USC guys could go get it, knowing that uh, between the USC guys and the, and the Utah secondary, USC guys were going to win those battles. And I think that's one of the things. I mean, obviously they've got more talent uh, matchups in terms of USC's wide receivers and almost anybody's secondary. If you throw the ball for grabs, they're going to get it. So I. I think that's exactly what you wanted him to do in those circumstances. Uh, and I, I just think that people say, oh, he's throwing his, you know, pop flies and that's not going to work against good teams. And that, I mean, Utah was supposed to be a pretty good team with a pretty good defense. And uh, so I think I don't agree with the people that kind of um, downgraded uh, Matt Fink's uh, game the other night. I thought he, I thought he was. I thought he when he had to throw the ball on the deep out. Um, I think that you know almost the first play they called for him was uh, really required a you know a guy brand new into the game to to make a really tough uh, long uh, long throw under coverage and uh, and he did. I thought that was the best thing they did in the game was they let him just start and go with the game plan and didn't change a thing. They didn't go into a shell. They didn't get. Uh, all conservative or whatever. They just said, let's go for it. You know, you can do it. And he did do it. So uh, I'm, I'm more impressed with, with the job we saw him do maybe than, than people who tend to be critical. We got an email from Otis Page who says, can you please explain to me why Clay Hilton favors a pocket passer over a mobile QB when this offense clearly needs a Sam, Sam Darnold type QB? Well, I guess if you could get Sam, uh, it probably would bring him back. You know, I'm, I'm just a guess because uh, he was that scrambler who could throw the ball down the field and throw it through, you know, through a tight window. Um, there haven't been a whole lot of those guys. Uh, and, and you tend to, if you're going to go, and, and it's, it's not Clay's offense. This is Graham Harrell's offense. And it's not certainly the offense they ran last year. So if you say, well, Clay favors, last year and this year are completely, you know, different years in a lot of ways. And um, I do think you need, you need a quarterback that can throw the ball on time on target in this offense, without a doubt. Uh, According to Graham, uh, the ability to scramble is not high on the list of qualities that they're looking for. And at times a quarterback who takes off and runs the ball is is really not what they want because they want you to identify if they've got four or five receivers out, they want you to identify the one who's open quickly. And if you're thinking about tucking the ball and running it, you might not do as good a job uh, identifying that uh, that guy that gets open really quickly. So, uh, so, so I, I don't think this offense is ever going to place a premium 
on a um, on a kind of a run first quarterback. Uh, I, I just think it's really hard to find. I mean, I think Bryce Young is that kind of a guy uh, who can run the ball whenever he needs to, whenever you need him to, and still throw the ball accurately on time, on target, and pick up the receivers. He's, he's a rarity. Uh, Russell Wilson, I think, uh, is kind of that guy. Uh, but, um, but, uh, you know, I just don't think you're going to have, you know, Sam Donald not going to show up, uh, on your doorstep. Uh, he was kind of a one of a kind, um, quarterback. So, so I think, you know, throwing it long, first of all, is going to be the thing they're looking for. Yeah, I agree with you there. And then, uh, we talked about this on tunnel vision a little bit. Uh, we did, you know, though Graham Harrell doesn't put a emphasis on, the mobility of a quarterback, the two guys that aren't that mobile did get clocked in the pocket and they're hurt. Now we saw Matt Fink escape a sack and uh, throw the ball downfield and get a touchdown. And I I shotgun was pointing out. I think he's right. There wasn't like a ton of those plays. There was another one where he got away and then threw the ball and it was an incompletion, but you know, that was a potential sack that turned into a touchdown. So you get one or two plays like that again with a mobile quarterback that maybe, JT Daniels or Keaton Slovis can't do that because they're not going to be able to escape the rush like, uh, like maybe you know a Jack Sears would or what we saw Matt Fink do. Well, I think the interesting thing was I thought we saw really good movement from Keaton in the pocket against Stanford, but we didn't see that against Brigham Young at all. And I, I'm not sure what was going on. There's just like two different games, uh, you know, for Keaton. But I do think in this offense you have to be able to move in the pocket. You have to be able to slide. You have to be able to uh, just, you know, if you have to take a couple of steps toward the line of scrimmage, which forces the defender to make a decision and commit, uh, and then that gets you an open receiver, you have to be able to do that. I don't think there's any question. You've got to have good feet, good athleticism, whether you have to also be able to run the ball. I mean, you know, Keaton did that three or four times against, uh, against Stanford, and just enough. And that, you know, makes it a little harder to play defense against the pass. Why that didn't happen against Brigham Young, I'm just not sure. Uh, but it just sort of, you know, sort of went away. I think Matt Fink, even though he didn't run it, he sure looked like he was capable of, of doing that. Now, whether my guess is now, you know, when you're down to the last scholarship quarterback as they were against Utah, uh, you're going to tell him, we don't want you running the ball. But I do think going forward, even if they've only got two quarterbacks, and I know Clay said that that worries him, I think you still have to take advantage of, with Keaton movement in the pocket and with Matt Fink movement and maybe uh, the ability to run the ball, especially since they've had so much trouble running the ball with one running back. Um, having a second guy in the backfield who can, uh, at times, uh, run the ball for you, I think it gives them – uh, a little more, it makes them a little more difficult to defend. So, you know, but we'll see going forward how this all plays out. In regards to play calling, we got an email from our buddy Joan, and she, I think she was a little frustrated when she originally wrote this. She said, Hi guys, I have a suggestion. Why don't you ask Clay at his next presser or even Graham on the field how well Harold is doing executing Clay's gumbo offense? We sure aren't seeing any of the Harold air raid or any type of an air raid offense in games. It all looks like Clay's gumbo offense. And of course, he's not calling plays, so he must have given his playbook to Harold for a quick plug and play. The only thing I can deduce from what we are seeing in games. And of course, you guys don't see practice, but they don't practice anyway, so what difference does it make? Thanks as always, wow. Joan. I told you, she was spicy. <laughs> spicy, oh, <man>. Joan. 
Yeah, and coming in with a, uh, I don't know, uh, boy, oh boy, all guns blazing, I guess, uh, for John. I mean, I think in the Utah game, the plays look like the air raid. They just ran, they only ran 54 of them. I mean, that's the thing that's, that's been a little surprising is uh, the tempo that, you know, when, when they were leaving fall camp, they were talking about the need for eight to 10 wide receivers because they're going to be doing so much running and trying to put so much pressure on defenses that has kind of gone by the wayside. I'm not sure what happened uh, to tempo and playing fast. I think that hurt them at Brigham Young that they didn't put more pressure on Brigham Young and they kind of slowed to the pace Brigham Young went at. And, and I think they slowed to a, a pace that was fairly comfortable for Utah, although Utah got like 20-some more plays than, than USC. USC, you know, went long ball and, and certainly took advantage of that. So, But 54 plays, probably not what the air rate but I, uh, is, is, is calling for or we thought it would we'd be calling for. But I do think the plays themselves um, were more the air rate style than we saw at Brigham Young. Uh, I think it's really hard, though, when you can't run the ball um, to be able to, to just, you know, just line up and do what you want to do um, on offense if you, if, you, if you can't force them to have to sort of defend the run. Um, and they just made superior plays uh, from the quarterback and the wide receivers uh, against Utah. How, how, much farther, how long he can keep doing that, uh, we'll see. I mean, the wide receivers are pretty good. Uh, so, but uh, they, they're going to have to figure out a way to run the ball. But uh, again, that won't look maybe like quote air raid, but that's kind of Graham Harrell's offense uh, that he does you know mix the run in pretty well. Now they got to figure out how to block it and uh, how to get somebody that can run through uh, you know arm tackles at the line of scrimmage. I don't know if they've got somebody like that. I don't know. Maybe there might be a guy on the roster. I don't know. He, at the end of the games, if you stay around the end of the game. You might see somebody like that, but uh, we'll see if he gets in this week. We got an email from Eric in, Dr- in Duck Country who says, Why do people keep making the freshman QB argument? Ryan, you made a great point that the coaching staff chose Keaton Slovis, but there's also the case of Trevor Lawrence, 30 touchdowns, four interceptions, national champion. Then there's Jalen Hurts, who came off the bench and torched USC as a true freshman, going on to win SEC Freshman of the Year and SEC Offensive Player of the Year and taking Alabama to the national championship game. A good team can adjust and make a freshman quarterback successful. It's this coaching staff's fault if they don't adjust and they put and if they put too much on Slovis's shoulders. Thanks, Eric and Duck Country. Yeah, I mean, no question. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, they've had three quarterbacks perform pretty well. JT didn't make it to the first half. But uh, if you look at it, as we said, quarterback-friendly, plug-and-play, they've been doing that. Uh, quarterback-friendly, plug-and-play. I mean, Key didn't take a step back against uh, BYU, but he basically had three strong quarterback performances in four games by three different quarterbacks. I, I would guess there's not another team in the country that could do that with three different quarterbacks. I, I think that's almost unheard of. Uh, that you come in with a, a third-string guy, technically, and you beat Utah and beat a number 10 team in the country. That, that's just, that Stuff like that doesn't happen. But uh, with USC, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I that's I mean that's that was my point where people were like, "Well, it's a freshman quarterback." It's like I don't think that's an excuse. You are you also yeah. had, you know, Matt Fink and you had Jack Sears, and you you know you put them three and four, 
and you also had them in your system for a couple of years. So you were training those guys up. So I, I think you can't, you can't say, oh, that's the, here's, that's the reason why this isn't, uh, you know, anything that happens wrong. It's not on the coaching staff. They're playing a true freshman. I just think that's too simplistic of a view. So can't go with that. Yep. Uh, oh, no question. all right. Uh, here's the, no question. we've got a voicemail for you. Yeah. It's our buddy Curtis. Here you go. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Okay, we found out something else about this uh, air raid in our version. If they're taking away all of our short and medium stuff, we don't have to run necessarily. We can throw the deep ball to our receivers with success. This was against a number 10 uh, team in the nation with a stonewall defense. That stonewall defense didn't look that tough on the goal line when they knew we was going to run it up the middle with Marquis Step, and they couldn't stop it because he ran over the linebacker like Bo Jackson ran over Bosworth, got up and handed the ball to Reggie Bush. Beautiful. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, uh, he's got to play. He's got to play more. And I think the big mistake in the BYU game was not throwing the ball deep. Uh, you know, they can play eight, uh, drop eight, but, you know, if you can still beat them, you know, on that back line and you can go up and, and get the ball, and they did, you know, certainly once with the, uh, you know, Michael Pittman touchdown. But I think they needed to do that more, and I think I'd have done that first down in overtime. Uh, and throw the ball in the end zone and just see what you get. But, uh, uh, but I think they got away from that. I think now they know you got to go with your strength and you got to attack. And if that's uh, those guys catching it and, and, and running it, you know, that's what you do. And uh, and so too bad they didn't under, seem to understand that in the Brigham Young game. But uh, it was really nice to see that they realized uh, that you can replace the the run game, if you can throw it deep, uh, and, you know, and you wouldn't want to have to do that every game, but uh, that's got to make it difficult for defensive coordinators if they know that, you know, you may beat them deep and, and then beat them to the goal line. And, and that's, uh, that's a really, that's a tough deal. So uh, uh, I, I think that's a good thing for USC. We got an email from Ryan in OC, class of 94. He says, I hate to say it, but Stephen Carr doesn't look like himself again. He seems slow on kickoff returns and runs against BYU. Is he potentially injured again? He looks so great as a freshman, and it's sad to see him playing like this. Fight on, Ryan in OC. We haven't gotten any indication that he's got any issues, although uh, at the same time they would say 100% feeling great, blah, blah, blah. Clay would also say, but we're taking it easy on him you know, in fall camp. So, uh, you know, you've got that. Uh, certainly on the touchdown that he ran against Stanford on the sweep uh, last, I mean, he didn't even look like he needed to put it in gear and uh, was basically untouched. So, you know, it's, it's a difficult, you know, I know I've gotten suggestions from people who say, you know, you got to put Marquise in and, um, and use Steven as a slot receiver. And he's a great receiver. Um, you know, I, I don't know where this goes, but, uh, all the dancing around and the indecision, it just doesn't seem like there's a mess between, uh, what they want to run with Steven and the way it's being blocked and the way he sees, uh, where the seams are. And, uh, so I think 
that's an area that just has to improve. And however they decide to do it. We got an email from someone who forgot to add their name, but first they have two questions. First one, why wouldn't every future opponent now see the perfect defense against our offense? Since BYU dropped eight and rushed three, we couldn't pass, couldn't run, and couldn't protect. We made no adjustments. How can we expect the future teams not to do the same? Well, you know, they've also got the Utah game, which is going to give them a little more, uh, you know, to think about. If Yeah, coming off the BYU game, um, that was not a good look, and that would have been the kind of thing that if USC is going to play um, the way they played in the BYU game and adjust the way they adjusted or not adjust, um, good deal for uh, defensive coordinators coming up. The fact that they did adjust uh, and basically had one thing going for them, you know, the deep ball uh, against Utah, which turned out to be enough. I mean, they got some breaks. Utah uh, didn't have Zach Moss for most of the game, and they got into the red zone and couldn't convert. Uh, so I don't know that you can count on that happening, especially on the road. Uh, so um, they've got to they got to make more adjustments than they made against Utah. But they did make adjustments against Utah that did look better. We have multiple questions on the same topic. Uh, first was from the the former anonymous person who just asked the former question he said i'm feeling that coach helton's time has come wouldn't it be better to wait until the end of the year when we have an ad and avoid the mid-season turmoil that it would cause to bring in a new coach thanks for your knowledge and insights into usc fo- football fight on forever and then dave in costa mesa sent us an email that said if things go poorly do you think it could even be possible that an interim ad would fire the coach or even if a new ad is named soon would he replace a coach mid-season after only a few weeks on the job both of these seem unlikely to me thanks for all the content your team produces dave in costa mesa yeah Dave, <laughs> you asked all the all the right questions uh yeah can the interim ad do it you wouldn't think so but but if if it's one of those i just i don't see how you can get to the kind of emergency situation which would require the third dismissal of a head football coach in eight years in the middle of the season. I just, I think if you look at the reasons for the previous two, they're probably not going to exist uh, under this regime. And I know people are encouraged by the fact that, well, what if you hired this guy who would flip all the California recruits and, have USC talking about a national championship next year. Wouldn't you bring him in as soon as you could? You know, tempting, I guess. Uh, I'm not even sure. You talk about, well, you you might have to have a real AD to pull that off. And the the thought that you've got an AD who's going to come in in the middle of the fall, and these are all, if you're looking at the top guys, which hopefully USC is only looking at the top guys, they're at somewhere where they've done a really good job and their school year has just started They're in the middle of football, basketball hadn't started to ask one of those guys to just pick up and leave. That's a tough deal. I think, uh, I, I don't think that, you know, professionally, if you leave somebody kind of, you know, your old school high and dry like that in the middle of the year. So I, I think USC is up against it a little bit in bringing in that, really top ad right now and i just think it, it's it's uh it's not an easy get uh at this point and i think you know making the decision on this football coach i mean let's face it president folk 
said explicitly at her inauguration, her job is not to hire football coaches. Okay. So, or fire them, I guess you could assume. And so where does that leave? There's a big gap between president fault and the football coach. There's nobody in there really. I mean, Dave Roberts is, is, is a placeholder, but he's not, not somebody. Now he could do it if somebody tells him to do it. Uh, but, uh, then that would require probably the president. And, um, you know, I know in other uh, dismissals, board of trustees people were involved, certainly with Lane Kiffin's dismissal. I'm not sure that I see that same kind of involvement from this board of trustees that, uh, that existed back in the, back in the day. So, uh, so I don't know. I don't know where this goes because, if you want to save, say, the recruiting class or, or, or you know, gin up the kind of uh, excitement that it would take maybe to flip a lot of those California kids that are going somewhere else, you know, you would need the kind of either unbelievable running of the table by this team, uh, probably do a Pac-12 championship, and maybe the Rose Bowl, or the, a sense of, you've got that one guy who can turn things around immediately. Both of those look like fairly long shots at this point, but I don't know. Stay tuned. That's why USC is always interesting to be around. Who knows what's, what's going to happen one day you're up and one day you're down. And then the next day you get up and then the next day it, it, it kind of repeats itself. So since you already t- touched on these topics, I'm going to go into two emails that we got that, pretty much had similar questions. First one from Frank. He says, I understand that the fan base is always asking about Helton's future and the current state of recruiting. However, do you think fans put into perspective the AD position is still vacant and that the hire will change both of these outcomes? In big business, including college athletics, individuals are going to place their guys to lead a department or a football team. I don't see this changing when the AD is hired. The outcome of this football season, outside of winning it all, will not change the fact that a new AD and president will put in place a head football coach that they say have a say in and hire themselves. And then we had an email from Tony who said, with Bryce Young leaving and this prolonged firing of our current head coach, is hiring Urban Meyer, regardless of mediocre results from Helton, the answer to create this excitement and return to glory? It seems that a win here and there by Coach Helton keeps him employed at USC. Yeah, I think that's that's a symptom of what the problem is. I don't think uh, you can go from game to game, week to week, one week you're up, one week you're down, one week he's you know, he's uh, saved his job for a while. The next week, that's it. He's gone. You know, why, why wait around? I don't know that the program can get to that place and have any kind of stability that allows you to recruit, allows you to do all the things that you need to do. Uh, I think USC might be at that place where um, you're just too far down that road of uncertainty and that there needs to be a you know a commitment and a certainty and a sense of this is a team that will be able to com- you know compete for national championships. This is a team that will be able to dominate the Pac-12. Uh, there's not that sense now, uh, and and that's the sense I think that USC football has to have. And uh, how do you get there? Uh, had there been, let's say, wholesale reorganization wholesale uh, new people uh, running everything uh, with the program. Maybe you say, you know, 
Notre Dame made it work. This USC is going to make it work. But it was kind of some good things clearly were done in terms of staffing, in terms of personnel, in terms of, you know, the support stuff that has to happen around a program, but not the wholesale uh, changes that probably were absolutely required after a five and seven season. And uh, so, you know, they're still stuck in this. Things are looking good, you know, and then you lose to Brigham Young and everybody's, oh man, now what? And then you beat Utah. It's like, oh, okay, maybe. I think they just have to you know, continue on to the end of the season like that or, um, you know, you just can't go week to week. Yeah, I think we, we talked to Bruce Feldman about that uh, when the uh, Lin Swan news broke, and he would say the same sort of thing. It's like you can't just go – it can't just be, well, what did he do? This Did he do just enough to keep his job or not? It's, you have to make the decision, and I don't think this will happen until you get – the like the uh, the first emailer said that your regular athletic director in there if, over the next four or five years. Do you think Clay Helton's the guy? If not, then you move on. If he's nine and three this year, and you feel like that's that's good enough to stay, if the new administration doesn't feel like that's the you know the, this is the guy, uh, you know the horse you want to hit your wagons to, then you go on and and you go out and get rid of him and hire somebody else. So I think that's kind of where USC is now. This whole week-to-week limbo stuff is just it's hurting recruiting it's just it's not good for the program so if he's your guy you got to let everyone know Clayton's a guy for the next four or five years this is what we're going with and if not then you go out and get somebody else and you try to hire someone that actually has head coaching experience and has been a, a good college head coach uh you want to do a voicemail or yeah let's do a voicemail okay we got Keely napping over there. All right, hold no, on. Here I we... told you next we'll go to a voicemail. <laughs> you did not. I you did. Know. I don't know. Ryan. Keely. Jeez. It's so hard to get good help these days. Wow. I'm just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. And, you know, we're not the Ray of Troy people, so we're not going to go fix this stuff. This is just we the way We probably it goes. should. But... Why? It's, like, it's fun. Okay. Yeah, this is us talking. Yeah, it's fun. We just like to talk. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, so the listeners enjoy it too. Yeah, Mike. You know, Michael's over there, just like making sure every um and everything's gone. Michael, you're a crazy guy. All right, I don't know. I'm in a weird mood. Here he goes, voicemail. Good morning, guys from Nashville, Tennessee. It's Johnny. I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to the Trojan team last night for their uh, win against Utah. Very impressive in the trenches. That's what I noticed. One of the first things that was to me, it was a trench battle. Um, also, I want to call out on Greg Jackson, Polano Hufanga, um, Mike Makeup Pittman. They they all did their thing. Also, you can't not recognize uh, Matt Fink. He came in, and you know he did what he had to do in order to help us get the win. So all those guys were uh, major contributors. I feel like Hufanga uh, was one of the main ones. Uh, the, the game could have probably gone a different way if it wasn't for him, um, as well as uh, Asaya Palomal at, at the end with that um, third down and uh, sack on, on uh, Huntley. So um, it's very, um, it's, it's, you know, it, it makes the Trojan fan base happy seeing them perform like this, but what we will all like is for it to be consistent week in and week out, and some weeks it, it, it isn't. And well, the important thing is there's the win, 
So I'm looking forward to, towards uh, Washington next week. Um, have a great day, you all, uh, and fight on. Well, uh, it's good to hear from uh, Johnny. Good to hear from Nassau. I've been, uh, for any of you who haven't been watching uh, uh, Ken Burns' uh, documentary on country music uh, on PBS uh, last week or two, uh, watch it. it. It is absolutely great, and you will feel like you're living in Nashville. It's just terrific stuff. But uh, but I think Johnny makes a good point. And I, I, I got a note today from uh, our guy at uh, Trader Joe's, John Bassalone, and he's got such smart commentary about USC football. And I think he made the point that you there are a number of things that it can give you joy watching these games. You can, as he said, joy about uh, Matt Fink and, and, um, and Drake Jackson and Talanoa Fonga and Michael Pittman and all those things. And as much as you want it to be the whole, you know, whole deal, the, the complete picture and all that, uh, one of the good ways to do it, and I'm, I'm sort of a, one of these glass half full guys myself, trying to see where you can come up with the good stuff, is, uh, is just enjoy as much as you can the good stuff that these kids do and uh and just hope they can you know do enough of it and keep doing more of it and uh and just move on uh and, and not let it get you down too much because you know it's easy to do uh to get down but uh but i i always thought uh john just has a, a really good smart take on uh how you how you enjoy your favorite college football team and pick out all those great moments uh that really bring uh, bring you some joy and, uh, and 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 just enjoy it. We have a couple special teams questions. I'm going to go with Ooh. two about our buddy Ben Griffiths, who we hyped up so much preseason. Uh, first off, from Blake from the OC, he says, "Question here for Dan and Ryan: What is up with punting so far this year? It seems like Ben Griffiths is more concerned about hang time than actual distance on his kicks." He did pin one inside the 10-yard line uh, last week, but it does seem like nothing's going longer than 35 or 80, or 35 to 38 yards. Do you ever think we'll see Baxter let him uh, start kicking rugby style and getting some distance? And then we had a question from Steve, class of 97, who says, Through four games, USC's special teams play has been puzzling. There's at least one boneheaded special teams penalty per game. It looks like Ben Griffiths is being held back from really unleashing his punts. Why does John Baxter seemingly get a free pass from Clay Hilton? Thanks and fight on, Steve, USC class of 97. It's a really good question. I don't know the answer. Um, uh yeah, you would really like to see Ben get a chance to just do the rugby style, even if they're not going to necessarily let him kick the, quote, torpedo spiral, you know, the American-style punt. But uh, uh, clearly, when you talk to Baxter now, uh, he'll talk to you. He said numbers don't matter. Then he'll tell you what the hang time was uh, on that 47-yard punt or whatever. So, uh, um, yeah, I think – at least on that one, I mean, what we had been seeing was a punt coming down at the you know, 18, 17, 16-yard line, and that, that one came down inside the 10. Uh, so those extra 10 yards really matter, and, uh, and they got a, he got a sideways bounce. So whether he, he can, within the framework of what Baxter wants him to do, um, still uh, be able to extend that, those punts, into the upper 40s, which he certainly has the ability to do, uh, that would be nice. Uh, and it's a shame we haven't gotten to see it. Uh, and I know I don't know if it's uh, a worry over 
the inability to cover. Uh, USC's got enough players and they got enough speed that they ought to be able to cover punch, uh, even if you know a guy's kicking them 47 yards instead of 37 yards. But uh, but I, I think that's part of the problem, and it's kind of a you know an extension of some of the uh, special teams problems that, as you say, and as everybody noticed, there's at least one or so, one or so two, maybe two, a game now. They made up a little bit with with a couple of blocked uh, field goals and things like that in a hundred yard uh, you know kickoff return, but uh, but it hasn't been all smooth sailing obviously uh, on uh, on special teams and uh, I don't know if that's caused them to be a little more conservative uh, with the punting game or not, but uh, it is a little bit inexplicable at times. Yes, it's weird because we. It's just it seems like it's more of a coaching decision than than it's a Ben Griffith, you know, issue doing that. And all I I could just remember if you guys ever listened to the Harvey Hyde podcast, when he was coaching at UNLV, he had Randall Cunningham as his quarterback, but he was also a punter that could punt the ball seventy yards. And he specifically told his assistant coaches not to mess with him. Like just let him punt let the ball far. Like don't don't do anything, don't mess up his you know, just let him do what he's doing. And we saw Ben Griffiths do that, but I feel like there's coaches that are wanting wanting him to do something different than just go out and hit, you know, kick the ball as far as you can. Um, you know, I guess that's a strategy or whatever. But we we just haven't seen what we what we saw when he was doing that, letting it all hang out in practice. Yeah, I think if he kicked it, he had the ability to kick the ball in directions that weren't really predictable, and so you kick it an extra ten or fifteen yards. And you send the guy, you know, who's maybe looking for the ball to come here and it's going to the other corner. Not only do you get that extra distance uh, on the punt when it's coming down, you get the bounce and the roll. I thought we'd see some of that. We haven't seen any of that. We haven't seen uh, almost at all other than the one that uh, the bounced out of bounds the other night inside the 10. Uh, we just haven't seen where they kick it, where he kicks it away from the punt return guy. Uh, I thought that would be one of the real advantages on that uh, on the rugby style punt, which he can kick with real accuracy and great distance. Um, I, I don't have any good answer. We've asked the question a few times, and we haven't gotten a good answer either. So, you know, we're, that's where we are. We have one more special teams question. It's from 1977 Trojan. He says, I have a question regarding special teams. As I understand the rule regarding kickoffs, if the, if the receiving team calls for a fair catch inside the 25-yard line and fields the ball, then the receiving team gets the ball at the 25 to begin their drive. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think every kickoff in the BYU game two weeks ago was fielded by USC, but the returner failed to get past the 25. In my mind, that's a failure. What is your opinion? It's maddening to think that the team dedicated so much time to special teams work continues to screw up with penalties and failure to understand how to put the offense in the best field position. The minimum should be the 25-yard line. I feel like I'm stuck in a loop on Groundhog Day with this football team. Thanks for your work and your input, input 1977 Trojan. Yeah, I think one more 15-yard penalty on special or on kickoff return would be enough to say, forget that 100-yard Vilas touchdown run. That ain't happening. Even if he got one, he'd probably commit a penalty. When you think of all the penalties so far on kickoff returns and the inability to really recreate that uh, uh, that Vilas uh, touchdown run, uh, you make a good point about fair catching it. 
I know that's really hard to tell your guys that we're going to fair catch it, but I, I think I might be threatening them, the guys on the kickoff return team, and say, look, you know, one more penalty, one more dumb thing that you guys do. Now, the problem is it's sometimes hard to criticize them for doing dumb things when you maybe yourself are doing dumb things like the double number seven, uh, the wedge that they didn't seem to understand what constituted the illegal wedge and all of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it may be getting close to the time when USC probably ought to start thinking about just fair catching it. And yet that just seems like a, you know, like giving up, like just admitting you can't get the job done. And that's a, that's a psychological, uh, you know, if you could create this sense of, boy, we're really smart. We're getting it out to the 25 every single time and we're not getting a dumb penalty. But then that kind of is focusing on your negatives rather than your positive. That's sort of like a one of those so what, now what uh, themes. And uh, I don't know if they need any more of that. <laughs> we got a text from our buddy Joan again. Uh, she says, hi, guys. Joan here. Big fight on to our team for gritting it out in the Collie last Friday night and winning. I just don't understand how, even with the staff changes, how every team over the last four years looks and plays exactly the same. Isn't this supposed to be a simplified defense? I just don't understand. There's just no learning going on here. Well, I I think what hasn't changed as much as I think a lot of us would have hoped is how they practice. And I think what you're seeing on the field is is kind of um, the way they practice and, and, and maybe they're not under as much pressure and they're not forced to, you know, really perform at, at you know, game speed, game tempo, game physicality and practice enough against, uh, you know, with the top guys going against the top guys. And so no matter how much you try to, you know, change things, no matter if you change almost half the coaching staff, uh, you still have, um, guys that maybe aren't ready to exactly do what, what you need them to do. Or maybe, you you know, you've got a defense that just doesn't seem like it's factored in all the things it has to factor in, um, like coverage on the edge. I mean, they just don't – they don't seem to have the personnel uh, on the field, you know, with the, uh, with the nickelback. Uh, to be able to to get in certain alignments to get coverage on the edge, and uh, they don't seem to have adjusted for that. So, uh, so some of the things that uh, we know probably needed to be upgraded or changed or rethought uh, haven't been completely. Uh, that hasn't happened completely. All right, we got another voicemail question for you, Dan. Let's switch a little. We haven't talked a lot of defense. We'll talk some defense now. Hey, this is Charles from Carson, California. This, this this question is for Dan Weber, Keeley, or Ryan. Hey, question. You know, fight on. We had a great win uh, over over U over Utah, and I mean, we were having issues with like defense in the beginning of the uh, of the uh, or defense pass rush can't tackle. I was at the game. I'm like, you know, how come we cannot tackle these guys? I look up uh, Wale, uh, you know, that transferred to Illinois, and he's leading the whole nation in sacks. <laughs> and this is before he even – this before Saturday's game. So he has six already total. He's, he's, he's like number two, I want to say, in the nation right now. 
We're giving up all this talent. We're not recognized putting the talent on the field. What is really going on? Number two, six sacks. How many, I mean, how many sacks does our whole team have? He had six. Not very happy, Dan. We actually got an no, email about that as well. Really, oh, he hey. makes a really good point. Oh, what? You, Akilah, you want to read the email? Sure. Too? We got an email from Charles Walker who says, Question for Dan. Tell me why we gave him up again. Olawole Batiku is number two in sacks in the nation, six total. USC giving up players like this. Meanwhile, we have pass rush and tackling issues. As the broadcaster said, I don't know what's going on with USC. They're giving up a lot of talent. Yeah. I mean, uh, they couldn't find a position for him. It was like, well, if we put him at, uh, you know, on the edge, he's he got to play some pass defense. What does he have? Three years of football in his life and it was like well i don't know we probably can't coach him up enough and yeah he's got really great physical ability but i don't know what do we do with him we don't coach guys up all that well so i think they kind of gave up on him they couldn't find a position in their defense couldn't figure out a way to make what he could do work for them i think that's on usc i think when you've got guys with special talent and he had special talent um you have to figure out a way to get them in the game. I think, you know, at least this year, they're going with four down, uh, a four-man front uh, because of Drake Jackson, and, and they absolutely had to get him on the field. But, uh, but you know, this is not the first time that USC hasn't figured out how to get a guy with, you know, special talent. They, could, they didn't get Palaia on the field much last year. Uh, and, you know, it, it, you know, and Talanoa Hafanga was thirteen going into September last year before guys left and got hurt, and he got on the field. Uh, it's not been something USC's done, you know, all that well, and uh, they got to do better. They're trying a little bit this year, I think, to get guys on the field and give guys a chance, and the, and the young guys. But uh, but yeah, not not figuring out a way to get Alawali on the field. I think he had what one tackle in two years. Um, that just that's not good enough. Not good enough at all. So we have multiple questions about officiating. So bear with me here. First up from Steve, he says, "Am I mistaken? I thought Flag Day was June fourteenth, not September twentieth." After watching USC beat Utah, the only thing I learned for certain is that the Pac-12 has the worst refs in all of college football. A combined 27 penalties for 237 yards made the game borderline unwatchable. The celebration penalty against Step for his high five with Reggie was probably one of the most ridiculous penalties I've ever seen called. How does the Pac-12 solve its ref problem? Does the Pac-12 review these games and provide in-season teaching to the officials? And does it really matter as long as Larry Scott is still in charge? Thanks and fight on, Steve. And then Erlen West LA said, why do you think that the officials were calling such a close game? I saw so many calls that could have easily been non-calls as well as the usual allotment of missed calls by our beloved Pac-12 officials. Thoughts? And he also added, in spite of what many fans on the message boards wants, Clay Helton si- sidesteps the guillotine again. And then we had an email from Rob Ray who said, hi, Dan, I'm hoping we'll hear your thoughts on last night's officiating in a podcast. The travesty that we saw last night seems to happen every year. When are we going to get some accountability from the Pac-12? USC is not good enough to overcome the officials week after week. Turns out Utah isn't either. We are employed and pay... We- we employ and pay these fools instead of garnering some goodwill. They seem more vindictive than ever. Best Rob. 
Yeah, I will say this. Uh, and having covered two different conferences before getting here, the SEC and the, and the Big Ten, their officials seem a little more confident in their competence. And, and one of the, notice, the things that seem noticeable about Pac-12 officials, they don't look comfortable out there. They look like they're, uh-oh, what's, what, you know, are they getting second guessed more? I mean, is the whole league, I mean, let's face it, two, two weeks in a row, uh, the Pac-12 on the road with a Pac-12 team winning on the last play of the game at Michigan State with Arizona State and then at uh, Ole Miss with Cal. Uh, the other team is just going nuts about the Pac-12. Uh, I think they had a, a good complaint in the Arizona State game where an Arizona State player launched over the block the, the possible game-tying field goal, and that should have been called, and they had to apologize. And there, there's a new transparency with the Pac-12 this year where they're supposed to, on plays like that, they're going to review them. They're going to release a, a finding and a video the next day. Uh, I think they got the call right at the old at the Ole Miss game. Uh, the guy uh, who was ca- who would have caught the possible game time touchdown for Ole Miss, he was in the end zone, but the ball was not. And the Pac-12 official was right on the call. Uh, Ole Miss didn't have any timeouts. Did they? You know, need to give them a timeout so they could review a play where they were right in calling it, which would have given Ole Miss another chance uh, to push the ball in from the one yard line. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think they did that well, but the Pac-12's reputation is so bad right now that people are just going to say Pac-12 officials, they know they got it wrong. Uh, with the, the 27 penalties in the Utah game, uh, it was, uh, was kind of the only good thing about it. If you're a USC person is USC just had 11 of those and, 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 um, uh, Utah had, had, had the 16. I think the, the artist was about the same, 120 to 117 or whatever for USC. But, uh, and I still wonder on the, on the Keaton Slovis, it, it surely looked like the crown of the head got, a helmet got into his, uh, into his chin. But, you know, uh, I would have at least taken a look at it if I were the, you know, the Pac-12 officials and, and they didn't. Um, so, you know, we can complain because they didn't do something in a game where they called 27 uh, penalties. Uh, it's just, you know, the Utah people kind of said, hey, you know, that's on us. I think Utah didn't get ready for that game because they basically played just show-up games with Northern Illinois, who's not any good anymore, and then Idaho State. I don't think they were ready to play uh, under the kind of pressure that playing the first game of the year on national television in the Coliseum against a, a USC team that had weapons that could hurt them. I thought they weren't ready to play. Uh, I don't think USC now, it looks like it's getting away from them. They started the year with uh, a couple of games with four penalties, and then they went to eight at Brigham Young and then uh, 11 last week So uh, and, and lost their poise, uh, you know, some. And I think that's Clay's uh, self-appointed uh, responsibility. So I think something's got to start happening there. Because you know it's getting away from them, but uh, as far as the Pac-12 itself, I just there aren't enough good officials in the Pac-12. They just look a little nervous. Uh, the only play where they were really on it was when Reggie, when uh, uh, Marquise got near Reggie, and two officials come flying in. I mean, they were it was like they had their eye on Reggie the whole game or something, uh, because man, were they on that? 
And then, you know, to get the immediate 15 yard penalty and all that, uh, I mean, that, and maybe they had been instructed that you have to keep Reggie away from the USC players. Cause I guess, uh, a lot of the US employees at the game were told that same thing that they couldn't interact with Reggie. Um, that nobody at USC could, you know, acknowledge Reggie about anything unless it had a specific, um, specifically was involved in his coverage of the game. So, um, uh, but that was that was pretty bizarre. I thought the reaction of the the two officials to uh, Marquise you know, getting near uh, getting near Reggie. Yeah, that was that was bizarre. Arash put a, a piece in his column about the NCAA. It's just it's baffling that this is still going on uh, as long as it has. So that's something that really needs to happen. We need this hashtag free Reggie or free Reggie Bush stuff to keep going because this is uh, ridic- ridiculous. Um, before we jump into more, Dan, I want to get your thoughts on that. Maybe we'll talk some Reggie Bush stuff before we finish the questions. But I want to let everyone know about SeatGeek. I know you're out there. People email us all the time. They're having issues. They want to get tickets to the game. Sometimes it's not easy. You go on the different websites, and it's like they're making it more difficult on purpose. But SeatGeek proves there's a better way. There's millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee. You could search sports, live music, comedy, and more. They have the tickets you're looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. So go to the App Store, over 50,000 five-star reviews. So they do a really good job with that. They'll pull millions of tickets together from all over the web and then rate them all as far as the deal goes for the tickets from 1 to 10 to give you a scale of what's a good deal and what's not a good deal. They also have a very interactive seat map where you can see where those seats are. They give you all the details and let you make the best decisions. If you see a red dot, you think that's an overpriced one. Green dot means it's a good deal. So it's pretty simple uh, the way you go. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I just pulled up uh, what's going on for USC Washington if you happen to be going up to Seattle for the game. So they show you where the lowest, you know, the, the cheapest seats are for 50 bucks. Uh, they get some average deals like in 73, and then there's better deals uh, or higher price tickets and better seats. So wherever you want to go, SeatGeek will help you get there. And right now, SeatGeek will give you an extra $10 off your first purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code USC. So download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. Nice. Yeah. Well, Dan, yeah. Dan Keeley, maybe Keeley, maybe you want to get your thoughts on this too. You were in there with the, the Reggie Bush stuff. Is this, is this just redu- ridiculous that they're so like Bush can't have anything to do with USC. They can't acknowledge that he's there. It's surreal. It was surreal seeing him there, but also just, I was talking to some of the social media people in during pregame and I was like, so what are your, what are you guys doing? What, like, what's the deal? And they were like, we basically have to pretend that he's not even a person. Like, he's not even here. He was like, they were like, we're checking all our photos to make sure he's not in the background somehow. Like, it's, they were really strict about it. And it was funny because Shotgun was taking photos of, of Reggie Bush and he was adding them on his computer in the little media tent on the ground floor. And one of USC's photographers came by and looked at the photos and he was like, well, I can't do that. So props to you. So it's just, it's just crazy how there's just, it's almost like he's a virus or a disease where it's just like, stay away. He's not a thing. Nope. No, no. So it's and where crazy. is that coming from? Like, who's saying? You I think can't- it's compliance. Because, okay, so you know when in the 2015 Pac-12 championship game, I believe, that's when Reggie came for the, like, 100 years of the Pac-12 and they had the whole honors thing? Yeah. They had 
to get special permission from USC compliance to tweet out about Reggie Bush from the USC account. They tweeted it out. And then once they did it, compliance changed their mind. It was like, no, actually delete it. So I think it's compliance that's really just scared about what could happen if they acknowledge Reggie. So it's it's really interesting. And then just watching Reggie, he was really careful to not interact with anyone USC related. Because I watched Matt Leiner talk to President Carol Folt. They had a brief yeah, chat they had together. A picture, like, so she's like, oh, I'm, I'm great to have a picture with this USC legend, but not this one right next to him. I mean, I, I don't think that should be her first move as president. But I mean, if you want to be ballsy, sure. But I think it was just interesting watching Reggie because he felt almost... I could see how timid he was because he didn't want to do anything wrong. And I think he was just trying to like wait in the wings and not cause any tr- problems or trouble. So it was just really fascinating to watch the whole game. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do think one of the problems is when your interim AD was the vice president for compliance who was involved in how this all was set up and played out and what have you – I think you probably have a skewed view of how this should be, you know, play out now. For example, uh, Chris Weber at the University of Michigan clearly, I mean, he he violated a number of laws. He was found, you know, guilty of uh, of a number of you know law violations. He received a ten year uh, uh, banishment from the University of Michigan. He didn't get banished for life. Why did Reggie get banished for life? Because USC was so good in football and won national championships that, uh, you know, really disturbed the good old boys in the Southeastern Conference and the Big Ten and the Big 12, and they didn't like it. And so USC got whacked, and that ought to be changed. And USC, the new athletic director, ought to make a commitment that we're going to go back at you, and if we have to do whatever we have to do, we're changing this, and it, it just—it's ridiculous. It's embarrassing, and, and, and you, somebody should just say to the NCAA, "We're going to try to make you not look so stupid, okay? We're not going to—we're going to let you come back to reality, and we're going to give you a chance." And I, I, my guess would be, if you took it to court in California, uh, in California, the NCAA show cause penalty is already illegal, okay? For Todd McNair to be told you can't get a job in NCA school uh, without them showing cause why they shouldn't get penalized by, you know, USC. Uh, but the same thing ought to happen on the Reggie case. And, 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 and let somebody in California, uh, you know, the California judicial system adjudicate it and decide, no, you can't do that. I mean, how, could, how dare the NCA say he can't set foot on USC's campus? Who is this? I mean, is, what go, is this some, you know, totalitarian government? Can't do that. I mean, really? I mean, to, to say he's a non-person, that sounds like a totalitarian government. It says he's a non-person. I mean, that's and even Fox looked like they were intimidated in terms of what they would show and what they wouldn't show, um, you know, in terms of Reggie. I'm amazed that Fox would would allow that, you know, allow that to happen. And I think part of the reason right now, Reggie's uh, banished by USC decree, not the NCAA. USC and in, in trying to, you know, uh, offer in, in 2010, uh, their response said, we'll banish uh, Reggie. The NCAA said, fine, uh, they'll accept it. 
But so right now, if you go after the NCAA, their first response will be, that's not us. That's USC banishing him. So I would like to see USC just say, we're not banishing him anymore. We don't want to do that. That was a wrong call by us. And we're now calling on the NCAA uh, to, to bring it back in line with every other penalty the NCAA has ever given out. And it's not fair. And, you know, you can't, you know, the NCAA says they want to have a, a, a like a, an NCAA legal system where they have a rule of law. But if you make a special penalty for Reggie Bush because he's involved with USC, that's worse than the others that you've given out. That's not the rule of law. That's his vindictive. Uh, and that's wrong. We have two more questions left. All right. Okay. It's an email from Michael Newport. Michael from Newport, he says, I'm listening to the Tuesday podcast and Keeley's analysis on Clay's post-BYU press conference on how he was already trying to spin the loss and focus on the positive and discount the loss because it's an out-of-conference game. Additionally, Dan has gone through his rant on the so what, now what, and how that is derived from a loser's mentality that you that you will face adversity. One conclusion is obvious. Clay is terrible and his press conferences uh, don't do himself any favors or the team any favors uh, by not being brutally honest and what he needs to change and what performance is acceptable. The question I have is, why aren't people like Tim Tesalone or previously John Robinson helping Clay with his messaging? It makes me feel like they aren't slash weren't real assets for the coach. Uh, regardless of the state of USC football, I remain optimistic and will always be in the stands for the entire game supporting our Trojans. And then in parentheses, he, sa- he says, yes, that's a shot fired at fair, fair weather fans. Fight on Michael from Newport. Well, Michael's right about that. That's the way to approach it. That's the way you have to approach it. If you're a fan, I mean, you just can't go the other route. You just, you, you really can't. As far as helping, helping uh, Clay, John Robinson is now helping Ed Orgeron in, uh, in at Louisiana State. So John's probably off the table there. As far as Tim uh, Tesselin, I'm just not sure that's uh, in, in Tim's bag of tricks. Uh, I just don't see um, anyone saying, you know, when you have a really bad loss, it probably is a good thing not to point out the two things you did right but maybe it's just good for everybody that you point out the 10 things you did wrong and that you're going to work on for next week. But, you know, that's just me. But, boy, you have to work hard because Clay is, A, you know, this, he's going to spin it in a positive way. He doesn't like negative talk, and, uh, and he's pretty stubborn. He's not going to – he's not a pushover. He's going to do it his way. And, and that's a good thing in a lot of ways for college football coaches. Not sure, you know, just the perennial things are, are, for example, I think I asked him on Sunday night, I asked him a question about the tackling issues. And he went immediately to, well, you know, the interior of our defensive line is tackling pretty well and did not address the whole rest of the universe of tackling issues USC has. Uh, and it's just, uh, that's, that's who play is. So, You'd have to work really hard, I think, to get him to be a guy who would come out and say, yeah, we didn't do this, 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 and this. And that's why we lost. Uh, And then we're going to work on it like crazy next week. And we're going to put in a lot of hard work. And it's not going to be on the, you know, on the, you know, watching film. It's not going to be on the chalkboard. It's not going to be in the meeting room. It's going to be on the football field. And we're going to be doing it at full speed, the work. 
uh, and we're really going to, you know, we're going to hit, hit and we're going to you know, be physical and we're going to fix this. That's just not, that's not the way Clay's wired. It just isn't. We have one final email, and it's from Robert Smith. He says, hey, Dan, I'm the guy you met in the airport last year at Utah. We had a lengthy conversation about the state of SC football. Short comment. As a diehard SC fan, I hate that Bryce Young flipped. However, considering what's happening to our QBs and the poor protection from our offensive line, I can't blame him for going somewhere where that doesn't happen so often. What are your thoughts? Fight on, Robert. Yeah, I don't know that specifically that played into it at all. I mean, the weirdest thing when you think about it is uh, Bryce Young has a far better shot starting next year at Alabama than he does at USC. Uh, you know, with all the, the differences between these two programs and the fact that Al- Al- Alabama people are probably penciling themselves into the college playoffs next year also, uh, it, it is true that if you're Bryce Young and, and guys, you know, at that level, uh, of talent coming out of high school, uh, guys who've been competing for national championships while they're in high school. That's kind of an attractive thing. Uh, but I think, I think the real impact would be uh, that it's going to be a lot easier for him to start at Alabama next year than at USC. I mean, one of the problems for USC is uh, if you're close to USC geographically, or you're coming from a feeder school or whatever, the problems at USC, you know about them. They're magnified. Uh, you, you know, for example, how how much praise Keaton Slovis has gotten from the offensive people who may or may not be here next year. Uh, but then you've got this, the instability of are the guys recruiting you, not the guys that are going to be coaching you. So there were, you know, there were a whole lot of a lot of issues. Uh, the fact that that um, the quarterbacks with the least ability maybe to, to run away from trouble are the ones that, that get hurt the most, um, maybe. Although I do think it's been exaggerated. I got a note from somebody that said, you know, poor JT, he just couldn't avoid sacks last year, and, and that was just really bad. And if you look up USC last year, USC gave up 27 sacks. Uh, Notre Dame gave up 25 um, what uh, Stanford gave up 24. USC was like 59th in the country and giving up sacks. So they weren't. They were in the top half of protecting the quarterback. So of all the things that were wrong last year, probably getting sacked was not necessarily one of them. It it seemed worse maybe than it was because with Sam, at least two years ago or two years before that, you had a Sam that could pretty much uh, escape all kinds of, of, uh, of, of pressure. Uh, his last year, he, when he got hurt, he wasn't able to escape it as much, but, uh, but I thought, I think the, you know, the notion that USC can't protect the quarterback is probably overstated, but the fact that you've lost two of them already this year, um, on guys that are, you know, basically unblocked, um, you know, in the Fresno game, you had like four guys unblocked that uh, that took uh, that took JT down, and you only needed one in the Utah game for Keaton. But uh, I don't think that impacted Bryce Young, but it ought to impact a lot of people as to that stuff shouldn't happen the way it did, but uh, but it certainly has. And is that a reason to to say not think? You know, you can twist yourself around and stay on your feet and 
and keep uh, keep the play alive uh, might not be a bad way to go. Uh, make sure you check out the uh, – we did a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast. If you're a subscriber to uscfootball.com, Gerard Martinez came on, talked a lot, a lot about Bryce Young's decommitment, and uh, so we broke down a lot of what was going on there. If you're big into the recruiting stuff, we'll also have our uh, – of a preview podcast with uh, talking to Chris Fetters from the Dogman site. They cover the uh, Washington Huskies. They've been around forever. And we also have our uh, preview show, our uh, Peristyle preview show, that will be uh, Friday nights at midnight. So Friday, this Friday at midnight, it will be on KABC Radio here, and we'll put it up as a podcast. But KABC Radio here in Los Angeles, then we'll put it up on a podcast on our regular uh, podcast feed. You can listen to that. It's a great listen before you go to the game. Uh, we'll have interviews from, pra- from uh, campus practice and all that kind of stuff, and We'll uh, break it all down. So hope you guys enjoy all that. We also have Tunnel Vision Thursday night. So that'll be before we fly out, Keely, right? You're right. Flying yep. out Thursday morning, uh, Friday morning. and Indeed. So Tunnel Vision live uh, Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific. So make sure you check that out. It's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It's on Periscope. So lots of different ways you can kind of watch that and get in and interact with us. We get so many phone calls on it now. It's crazy. Like just there's live phone calls. We have, I think our... Our phone lines, we can have three calls at once, and we just always get three calls that we have to like. Yeah, go we get the them. busy signal. Crazy. So, thanks for everyone for calling in and stuff. And, uh, Dan, thank you for coming on. Well, everybody wants to be on TV, but you guys. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to invite them on, on the show. Yeah, we'll get them on there and, uh, you know, let them talk, let them chat a little bit. Free therapy, I like to call it. It is like kind of free therapy. Yeah, yeah. people really need to talk to people right now. USC people need somebody to talk to. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Keely Yore, Dan Weber, I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed our little show. Thanks so much. If you're going up to Seattle, enjoy your trip. Come say hi to us. Uh, if you're just watching it at home, enjoy the game. USC Washington on Saturday. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 